Berkeley Yeast is back again with Sunburst Chico, the yeast you love now with a sunny burst of pineapple. This strain was bioengineered to produce ethyl esters, fragrant flavor compounds that give your beer a distinctive kick of fresh pineapple. Perfect for tropical West Coast IPAs, pale ales, and tiki-style summer crushers. Mention this podcast for 15% off your next order of Sunburst Chico when you visit berkeleyyeast.com. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Yeast is an incredible living microorganism. We've known for years that yeast has a crucial impact on the flavor profile and sensory properties of beverages, and the Fermentus Beer Yeast Strain lineup is designed to meet the requirements for all brewers, so you can release your creativity. Visit Fermentus.com or explore our app to discover more about yeast behavior and characterization. It really was that much faster and minimally impacted the flavor and aroma. So we're like, okay, those two are pretty ideal for what we're trying to achieve here, uh, which is a fast, clean, and neutral end product. This week on the show, an analysis of hard seltzer fermentations to optimize ingredients and performance. Hi, my name's uh, Ben Copenhaver, and I'm a project scientist at uh, Jasper Yeast, based out of Sterling, Virginia. Um, we're right uh, 10 minutes away from uh, Dulles Airport, so if you're ever flying through DC, come say hi. Ben, you gave a presentation during the Master Brewers Conference in Cleveland a couple of years ago on the topic of hard seltzer fermentation analysis and optimization. And even though seltzer is not the hot topic it was back then, Matt Cottrell from episode 259 said that we really ought to have you on the show because this was such a great presentation with some interesting data and practical applications. So here we are. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, thank you for having me here today. Um, yeah. So, I mean, hard seltzer has been around for a couple of years now uh, at this point. Um, and we saw a boom about two years ago time uh and it it then it started to taper off but now we're actually starting to see a huge spike in it again i don't know what that's about but um you know spring is here summer's just around the corner and so people are trying to make a nice uh 
you know, really dry, easy drinking, uh, uh, alcoholic beverage that they can offer to a wider audience. Um, that being like people that are sensitive to gluten or what, what have you. Um, so it's, it's had a lot of growth and popularity for that reason. Um, and so we wanted to help brewers, um, you know, of, of all kinds, whether they're, you know, a, a one to two barrel brew house system, a uh, little hole in the wall place to 30 barrel, 50 barrel, uh, size brew house capacity we wanted to have something that uh, some we wanted to look into this hard seltzer fermentation because a lot of people have tried it and not been exactly happy with how it turned out and um so we were trying to figure out like what components are important for creating a nice uh very dry very clear uh color is important when it comes to seltzer people want to see it almost look like just like a sprite you know and so um we that was our goal so we wanted to make some help people um achieve that goal there are some very different approaches to producing a color and flavor free alcoholic beverage what are some of the options so uh the most pop well the more mainstream approach uh obviously is one that is much more expensive unfortunately like when you see brands like white claw and stuff out in the um the supermarket i mean they have tons of money they have all this equipment that they can use like carbon filtration high volume centrifuge systems and you know, that is just not obtainable to every brewery. And if a hole in the wall brewery wants to make a hard seltzer to kind of increase the potential clientele, they can't really have that. They can't afford that equipment. So one of the approaches is using that type of equipment. So you can just use basically vodka yeast or uh, some kind of turbo yeast uh, that is mainly used for distillation purposes. So we kind of call that like the quick and dirty method, so to speak, because it, 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 when you do use that type of yeast um, fermenting simple sugars so rapidly, there's a lot of these off flavors that are produced, but it doesn't matter to them because they can use a lot of post-processing equipment that they have uh, to kind of strip all that stuff out. But the other method is kind of is what we wanted to help people do, which is a more precise hard seltzer fermentation where the amount of nutrient that you add is like designed explicitly for your uh, target fermentation, whether you're starting at like eight degrees Play-Doh to and ending at zero end up with something around 4% uh, hard seltzer. It, it's more accessible to those little hole in the wall places that don't have a lot of money that to afford buying a centrifuge system or a carbon filtration system. So what are the things we need to achieve to pull off option number two successfully? You're going to need a ideal nutrient blend that where 
the yeast is utilizing all of it and nothing is left behind, but also in the way that it's not going to influence either the aroma, the color, or the flavor. So that is step one. And then also, what yeast are you going to use? We needed to look into what kind of yeasts can actually tolerate these conditions that are honestly pretty harsh uh, for, for the yeast. Because, again, circling back to beer production versus hard seltzer production, I mean, uh, beer production, there, malt has so many natural uh, comp- like compounds in it that yeast loves and thrives off of. But with hard seltzer, you're going to end up, it, it, it doesn't have anything other than what you're adding to it. I mean, you're literally adding simple sugar, water, and whatever nutrients you think the yeast will thrive off of. So, so ha- selecting the right yeast is important because it's, it needs to be tolerant of these harsh conditions. And if you're trying to do the higher ABV uh, hard seltzer fermentation, then you need a yeast strain that is also tolerant of that. And then the other thing would be looking into your optimal water profile. And we'll talk a little bit about that more later. But a uh, quick synopsis, we kind of found that va- varied water sources have, do have an effect on the hard seltzer fermentation. So looking into the, your water profile does, is very beneficial as well. Uh, specifically the alkalinity and mineral content of the water. And then the other thing would be how much yeast you're adding or pitching into your uh, fermentation. So uh, that growth and fermentation will just be perfect. And um, you don't want it to be too much. And then it it produces off flavors because there's some cells lysing or whatever. So you want uh, an ideal pitch rate as well. Okay. Um, episode 212 was a deep dive on yeast nutrient, and we talked a lot about the differences in needs for hard seltzer versus uh, hard seltzer wash versus beer wort. You performed over 400 trials to dial in a yeast nutrient blend for seltzer to get that sort of Goldilocks just right situation. Talk about that and what you found to be most important. So, yeah, we, I mean, in those 400 trials, we were experimenting with a lot of other things aside from nutrients, but um, we, we kind of honed in on nitrogen. We know that um, nitrogen is uh, very important to yeast, specifically like in amino acids and uh, diammonium phosphate. It's a, those are very abundant uh, nitrogen sources. And then other vitamins and sterols, uh, those kind of help like with the um, cell wall, like rigidity and zinc and other trace minerals. They, they help with uh, just the alcohol production. So we, you know, included those. We were, we were just kind of toying with concentrations of different nutrients that were already known in scientific publications to help yeast growth and inevitably found a good set 
of concentrations for each of those individual compounds that got us to where we wanted to get. Talk about yeast selection criteria. Which traits are non-negotiable? So, um, when it comes to choosing your yeast for hard seltzer, I mean, you want something that ideally is going to ferment it pretty quick. Um, I mean, that said, simple sugars generally are up, taken up by yeast fairly quickly, but I mean, there is a variance of that between strain to strain. Um, but we also need one that is tolerant to these uh, stressful conditions that it's going to be living in during the fermentation, especially if it's like a high gravity uh, sugar wash. Um, you need something that can tolerate the higher alcohol levels that will be produced but then the other thing is when people think of hard seltzer it's it's this like it's this drink that is very neutral in flavor and aroma it's it's you know they just want it to be an alcoholic seltzer water basically so you want minimal flavor contribution minimal aroma contribution and then another bonus thing would be if your yeast is uh highly flocculent um just to help get it kind of out of solution this is more for the brewer's sake um than the consumer but that all helps um in producing hard seltzer you tested around 30 different strains to ultimately come up with a blend tell us about those trials yeah so um we we tested several and, uh, I mean, we tested, you know, dry English yeast, uh, Chico yeast, vodka yeast, Kvike, British. Um, and for funsies, we, <laughs> we just tested uh, Brettanomyces just to see what would happen. <laughs> uh, but it did not really ferment uh, at all. It yeah. did not like that. Um, but who knows, maybe in uh, another year it might. <laughs> we'll see what happens there. But um, we found that there was a variance in uh, attenuation when you're uh, using different strains. So we kind of honed in on um, uh, Kvike and one of our British yeasts um, because they were very successful in the, the harsh conditions of hard seltzer fermentation. We, we started, we, so we did a series of trials where the starting gravity was eight Play-Doh and over the course of, uh, and this is for like the whole data set for like the trial of like 30 plus yeasts. Um, over the course of the next eight days, we were checking gravities and the Kvike and British strain, um, they attenuated down below zero within three or four days. So that was like, wow. Okay. These ones are much faster when, and then compared to say the Chico, which didn't fully attenuate until like day six. So that's, you know, double the amount of time almost, but there was other parameters that we wanted to look at. We were concerned about flavor production or contributions to the aroma. So attenuation wasn't everything. Also we're concerned about, Okay, well, that was only eight Play-Doh uh, starting gravity. So let's increase the gravity and see what the performance is. So we uh, honed in on the Kvike and British, but 
we threw in some yeast strains that we know in the beer world to be very tolerant to high gravity uh, wort, such as like a Belgian Trappist beer yeast and uh, Saison. But interestingly, those ones really lagged behind actually in those conditions, uh, which we thought was both surprising and very interesting. Um, Did they ever finish out or not really? No, not really. They kind of tapered off um, around like six Play-Doh. That's kind of where they finished at. They never got any lower. Um, But the uh, Kvike and British did. Although that said, it did take significantly longer than the eight Play-Doh. The eight Play-Doh finished out within like three or four days, whereas like the 20 Play-Doh wort started to finish out basically around 40 days so that is significantly longer but um you know it's still a data point that we're like okay that that's interesting what kind of pitch rates were you using for these trials so we actually pitched this at um like half of like the typical ale pitch rate which um we say is like seven and a half million cells per mil um but so we did uh, three and a half uh, million cells per milliliter um, pitch rate for this uh, data set here. So in both cases, both for the eight and for the 20 Play-Doh? Yes, correct. Yeah. All right, cool. Okay. Do you want to talk about the sensory performance in these trials? Yeah, so we did an in-house sensory uh, panel on like, Testing, fermentation speed, alcohol tolerance, flocculation, haze, uh, ester character, uh, aroma, um, sulfury notes or phenolic, and uh, pleasant finish. We just wanted to kind of get some data points there. So we kind of invited a bunch of our uh, local brewer friends uh, over for a tasting panel. and did like a rate it like one through three where one uh is bad two is better and three is best kind of thing and in that data set we found again that alongside our data point from before where the attenuation rates and everything for um the british and uh kvike yeast were um optimal the same result was uh, present in the like tasting panel. Everyone was like talking about how this th- this one tasted very neutral, um, no mothball aroma, no sulfur production, no phenols. The only one that of those two that it, it, the the Kvike strain was a little less uh, alcohol tolerant. Um, but overall, it was pretty much synonymous to uh, the British strain. So we're like, okay, those two are pretty ideal for what we're trying to achieve here, uh, which is a fast, clean, and neutral end product. Coming up. If you don't know what your water mineral content is, that's going to kind of leave you shooting in the dark. 
I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG, exclusive distributors of Rar Malting Company, producers of quality malt since 1847. Is your Pilsner looking flat? Wishing you could show off a moose-like foam stand or looking to boost mouthfeel in a hazy? Then look no further because Rar Dextrin Malt is here to improve your beer. Bringing better body, improved haze formation, and stable foam, it's practically magic. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn how. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. Shout out to Continental, a global supplier of brewery hoses. Their Extreme Flex Beverage Transfer Hose features pretzel-like flexibility for those tight bend connections. Raise a glass to its easy, clean cover with a finish almost as smooth as your beer. Click the link in the show notes to find a distributor near you. Do you love pizza as much as I do? Visit lupulinexchange.com by May 12th and click on the pizza oven icon to learn how you can win a $500 Rockbox pizza oven. No purchase necessary to enter or win. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Milwaukee meets May 18th at the Tumbled Rock Brewery and Kitchen. District Philadelphia's spring meeting will be at Tonewood Brewing in Barrington, New Jersey, May 19th. District St. Paul, Minneapolis has its spring meeting at Shell's Brewery in New Ulm, May 25th. District Rocky Mountain meets June 1st at Holidayly Brewing in Golden, Colorado. District Southern California meets June 3rd at Gamecraft Brewing in Laguna Hills. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 8th. District Michigan Summer Social is July 8th at Fitzgerald Park in Grand Ledge. Master Brewers has teamed up with ASBC to put on a two-day raw materials symposium August 3rd and 4th in Bloomington, Minnesota. The world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins September 29th. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. District Michigan's fall meeting will be at Founders Brewing in Grand Rapids October 19th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join.
Now back to the show. So next you wanted to look at balancing nutrients and yeast pitch rates. I guess let's hear about the nutrient additions first. Walk us through what you trialed and observed. Okay, so we started a trial where it was with a lower starting gravity. It was roughly around uh, 9 Plato, but we the, the variable here we were testing was the nutrient con- concentration. Um, so here, with our previous investigation of nutrients, uh, like what nutrients were important, uh, how much of that do we need to add? So for simplicity's sake, the one times nutrient concentration was basically two grams of our nutrient blend that we came up with per liter. Um, and then we tested that against a two times nutrient concentration and a four times nutrient concentration and we did see that more nutrients does slightly increase the fermentation speed or the attenuation speed by basically like half a day uh so i mean it's not that much but it is technically faster but then and we did it the same thing again but at a higher gravity and this is where it got even more interesting um so at we did a s- series where it was starting gravity of 16 Plato. And so we just did the one times nutrient, two times nutrient, and four times nutrient concentrations. And there it was widely different. Um, so the one times nutrient concentration took uh, around eight days time to completely attenuate down to like negative one Plato. Um, whereas the two times nutrient took about three days and the four times nutrient only took two. So we were like, whoa, that has a significant effect, but you know, speed isn't everything. (laughs) So we were like, okay, what, what else is going on here? And, um, you know, like smelling them, tasting them, um, and all that. Um, and then looking at them and just looking at them, you can see there's a clear difference in the color. Um, so when you use more nutrients, there is definitely some residual nutrient left behind, uh, especially so in um, the higher gravity wort or, or uh, sugar wash rather. But in terms of like flavor and aroma, um, that was definitely there there were definitely differences um you got kind of a more bready uh flavor profile if there's more nutrients based on your sensory for the one times two times and four times i mean um was it enough of a difference where you were certainly like oh yeah like you know uh it's worth the wait stay with one or or could you not really say that yeah, no, I would definitely say, uh, at, well, especially so with the lower uh, gravity, starting gravity, you would want to lean towards less nutrient because it, it really doesn't need more because uh, we saw in, especially in the graph of uh, the attenuation rates that they're uh, basically the same. Uh, so it, it, with minimal variance. So 
it didn't really matter. So you're just adding extra stuff that like slightly increases the fermentation speed, but not to the point where it's really worth it because you're going to taste it. But in the higher gravity uh, sugar wash, like four times was definitely too much, but uh, two times was like, you know, okay, like maybe there's like a little hint uh something there, but like, you know, it was enough to be like, okay, wow, like that increased speed basically by two times. So, and then on top of that, it's like a minimal effect. So it, to that, uh, to that point, we were like, wow, this might be important for higher gravity uh, hard seltzer fermentations because then they can just, you know, maybe they can do some post-processing stuff after that if they want to do a higher gravity thing and to clean it up at the very end. Because it really was like that much faster and minimally impacted the flavor and aroma. Okay, same question, but for pitch rates, what did you find out there with those trials? Okay, so yeah, the next thing we wanted to test was if there was an effect on attenuation and on uh, color um, from like how much yeast you're pitching into your uh, sugar wash. So our first trial again was starting at around eight Play-Doh and we did a, a series of different pitch rates um, starting as low as a quarter of the typical ale pitch rate as seven and a half, uh, seven and a half million cells per milliliter. Um, so the lower that mean a quarter would be uh, like 1.9 million cells per milliliter. Um, and then we did half, half times the typical ale uh, pitch rate and then, then two times and eight times. Um, and when it came down to the uh, starting gravity of eight Plato um, trial, they were all pretty much the same. Uh, the effect is very small. Um, it did slightly increase it, but it wasn't enough to really be significant. But then when we did that tr- same trial, but starting at uh, 16 Plato, uh, there was a, a s- a variance in uh, atten- attenuation rate between the different pitch rates. So with that, we found that um, the one to two times uh, AL pitch rate, so seven and a half million or uh, 15 million cells per milliliter pitch rates, were pretty, those two were actually pretty much the same, but they finished uh, around six days. Um, Whereas the quarter and half ale pitch rate um, finished around eight days. And then the eight times uh, pitch rate that uh, finished around uh, four days time. So there was definitely an increase in attenuation dependent on uh, how much yeast you're pitching in a high gravity, um, high starting gravity sugar wash scenario. But again, that, that is in everything. Um, so when we looked at them all like side by side and looked at the color of them, we saw that the, uh, eight times pitch rate at 16 Play-Doh had significantly more color contribution to the final product. Whereas with the 
eight Plato um, at eight times pitch rate was it still did impact color, um, but not as much as the higher gravity uh, sugar wash. Okay. So basic takeaway there is that the nutrient has a bigger um, effect on color than, than the yeast pitch rate does. Correct. Yes. Any, anything else you want to say about like sensory with uh, changing yeast pitch rate? Was there anything else that like jumped out there from that standpoint other than, um, other than just color? I, we did, we did see uh, that there was like more kind of like a bread, bready uh, note and that, or like mothball kind of dusty, like aroma. Uh, and that, my, and we, think of that as probably being a side effect of there just being that much more yeast in there. So there, there, a lot of cells are probably, there's more, or there's a higher concentration of lysed cells in solution that are just floating around and dead and contributing off flavors. So it, it, the eight times pitch rate was definitely not uh, ideal in terms of flavor as well. Let's hear about when things don't go as planned. What spells disaster for seltzer fermentations? So, uh, with everything we've kind of gone through so far, um, we can see that there, if that the yeast nutrient and the right yeast, those are all very uh, important factors. Also, your starting gravity can have an effect. So, if you're planning to brew a hard seltzer and you want to make a high gravity one, well, then you're going to need enough nutrients that are going to get you to your final endpoint of, I don't know if you're trying to achieve zero Plato or whatever, but like if you're not getting to where you want, it, it most likely has to do with one of those things. Either the wrong yeast was used or not enough nutrients were used depending on your starting gravity but then another thing we came across uh that had an impact was your water source if you don't know what your water mineral content is that's gonna kind of leave you shooting in the dark we really advise brewers that are trying to brew uh, hard seltzer to send a, sam- a water sample to a lab to get like all the different details on what minerals are in their water at what concentrations because that is very valuable uh, information and the reason for that is we noticed with some uh, water sources like if you're using like for instance if you're using a uh, reverse osmosis water filter system you know you're stripping everything out of there and if you think like okay i'm going to make the cleanest seltzer ever because i'm going to strip everything out and and then you know just put the sugar in there and you know the nutrients and put the yeast in there and ferment it well now what you've done is also stripped out um all these other minerals that actually create a buffering capacity in your uh, sugar wash and circling back to the difference between beer fermentation and hard seltzer fermentation beer has a ton of ingredients that are going into it like 
you know, more complex ingredients. Uh, you know, malt has so many natural compounds in it uh, that yeast loves, but it also has other things in there that kind of help. They all dissolve in solution and they're kind of acting as a, a pH buffer, so to speak. Uh, whereas when it comes to the sugar wash, uh, there's nothing but what you add. So, um, you really got to make sure there is a buffering capacity in your water. Um, and what we found was we did a trial where we tested different, um, like alkalinity levels because, Okay, it's impossible. Like, I mean, you could, but it'd be extremely expensive, I would imagine, uh, to analyze to the T, like every individual compound that mineral compound that is contributing to your, your, in your water source. Um, so for simplicity's sakes, a lot of like water profiles, uh, focus on the alkalinity and use, uh, concentration of calcium carbonate as, they're like form of measurement. Um, so we kind of use that as our guideline and did a trial where we did a series of fermentations with different starting alkalinities um, of parts per million calcium carbonate. And interestingly, we saw an increase in the acidity that was produced between the 50 and 100 parts per million range. So we did a, a, a couple of titrations at the end of the, all of those fermentations and saw that there was a huge increase in acid being produced uh, around probably around 75 parts per million calcium carbonate. But then it started to plateau uh, at post 100 uh, parts per million concentration all the way to like 400. So we're like, that's interesting data point, but, uh, what about, what about the like terminal pHs of all of those? So then we looked at that and saw that there was actually a linear relationship there, um, where, you know, what, uh, 150 parts per million, uh, consistently was getting you down to a terminal pH of, uh, three and a half pH and uh, 400 uh, parts per million calcium carbonate was consistently getting a terminal pH of uh, like 3.85 ish. Um, so that's important because if you don't have enough alkalinity in your water to buffer uh, all the acids that the yeast is just producing during fermentation, your pH is going to drop really, really hard. Uh, and especially if the fermentation is very active, it's going to happen fast. And so then what can happen is your fermentation might stall if the uh, pH is too low. Like if it gets down below like 3.1 or 3, like we've even seen it, it can drop to like 2.8. And it's just like the yeast can't thrive in that kind of environment. So we found that this is very important to succeeding and making sure your uh, hard seltzer fermentation doesn't stall out. Any final recommendations? Yeah, I mean, we just want, 
we just want brewers to have proper expectations on their hard seltzer fermentation and understand that all of these things that I've been talking about do matter and do have an effect on the fermentation of this uh, hard seltzer. So, you know, look at your yeast strain, make sure you're using one that's going to produce a very neutral flavor and aroma, but also for the brewer's sake, you know, get something that is maybe higher in flocculation um, and something that attenuates quickly. But um, that also remember that the pitch rate does matter. So less is more when it comes to hard seltzer. Less yeast is needed than when brewing beer. Um, and then also a proper balance of your nutrients and you know, take a look at your water profile. Um, just know what your starting alkalinity is and adjust it appropriately. So you're kind of within that 150 to 400 parts per million range. Um, I mean, it all depends on what your, um, your goal is for the final pH. Cause some people like a little more of a tart seltzer. So lower is kind of better, but you don't want to go too low because then it can stall your fermentation. <laughs> That was Ben Copenhaver here on the Master Brewers Podcast. As always, check the show notes for links if you want to learn more. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please... Let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Yeah.